Hey, good morning, Life Church. Thank you so much for joining with us in our conversation. You know, as we close in on the culmination of our specific conversation, reset a divine approach to our earthly affairs, and this passage in particular, we, we are closing in on a verbose vocabulary box, one that includes words like foreknew, predestined, uh, called, justified, glorified. Uh, these words are all heavily weighted with divine purpose, and yet they fit our earthly frame. And when we invest those words appropriately, the, what God is trying to speak into us, when we use that vocabulary box the way that God intended for it to be used in our lives, it helps us live fully outside of the box, of, of the world that only we can create. And, and we're going to get there. We're going to get there actually the next two weeks. We're just going to work through that vocabulary box. But we've taken a very necessary uh, three-week sidebar to situate God's Holy Spirit in our circumstances. Within this passage that we've been reading, Romans 8, verses 18 through 31, the Spirit is right in the middle that turns us from one circumstance of suffering into the revelation that God has for us. And to mention again, we're leaning into these topics and themes in the shadow of a worldwide pandemic with painful and arduous discussions happening around us like race, privilege, economic inequality. And oh, by the way, if you haven't noticed, there's a pretty huge general election on our doorstep. I'm just going to leave that right there. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, another time. Suffice it to say, God's Holy Spirit, listen to me, God's Holy Spirit is critical for the discovery of the selves that Christ's sacrifice makes available. And we have been reading certain bits and pieces of the entire passage of Romans 8, 18 through 31, simply to save time. But I'm going to read those simple passages again, beginning in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Skip down to verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us, groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. And verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we again uh, just thank you for the opportunity to gather in this way. We pray for our president. We pray for our government as even just the election cycle is upon us and all those things that uh, are underscored. We just ask for your help. We ask for your guidance politically, but also in our lives, Lord, as we continue to navigate this pandemic. Um, just we ask for healing. We ask for hope. We thank you that you are our God of hope and you give us reason to continue to move forward. And so we just thank you so much for who you are. As we give you these moments, we just ask that you mold us, shape us, make us more into your image. Even in the midst of storms and circumstances, we know you can grow us. We know you can change us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen.
You know, when left to our own devices, we will find a way, each and every one of us. This is not based on a subjective stick-to-itiveness or, or cultural ingenuity, uh, nor is it based in just personality types. We're humans, and we humans have this really good ability to always find a way. What is more than likely is that we will go our own way, which is the way that the prophet Isaiah kindly puts it. Here's the thing. I'm not interested in a future that I can forge, me personally. I honestly have no desire for what I can design and make happen. Not, not only is that seemingly boring and lame to me personally, but I know my limitations. My limitations are no good, and they're to be honest, they're getting bigger. When I played basketball with Asa, I used to beat him. I used to score points, but do you know that my limitations are growing? My limitations are getting bigger or rather more confining. As I get older and he's getting stronger, I get slower and he gets faster. And in the same way in my own life, as I grow wiser, I'm becoming more and more aware of my limitations. And so any life and any future that God has for me, I am excited about, mainly because I see what I can do on my own, and it is finite. It seems limited. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, the wonderful passage about seasons and time, also has this comment in it that says, for God has put eternity into their hearts. God has put eternity, something outside of our ability, something longer lasting than what we can lean into. That's such a beautiful truth, and honestly, I think that's why all of us, if we're honest, we have a drawing. We have the ability to dream and imagine outside of ourselves for our friendships, for our children, where they are, and where we could bring them, but ultimately where we could see them. For my marriage personally, what I am capable of building with Tanya is completely different than where we are because we have been just decidedly giving our marriage and ourselves to God each and every day. And by doing that, he opens up opportunities, intimacy, friendship, health that we couldn't create on our own because God has put that in us. We lean into the fact that God has more for us. How do we become who we've never been? How do we do what we've never done or even imagined we would ever do? I asked these questions a couple of weeks ago as well, but how do we step into a personhood all our own but never thought possible? This type of thinking makes me muse on the creation narrative in Genesis chapter 1 where we, we see chaos. There's chaos, everything all over the place. But God's Spirit hovers over chaos and He makes something beautiful. He makes something in terms of creation, not just beautiful, but He makes something that is ultimately productive. Romans 4.17 says, Our God is the one who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. It makes me think of moments in scriptures like John chapter 11 where Jesus approaches Bethany and his friend Lazarus is dead, not just for a day or two or three, but he has been dead for four days. The limitation is bold. The, the, the next chapter isn't even a possibility. But when Jesus, when God in the flesh shows up, all of a sudden there's something deeper at hand there's another opportunity for something greater than what anybody else could do. 
and Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. He tells them, remove the stone. They're like, I don't know, man. It's going to be stinking there. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You're living by your limitations, but I'm not a God of limitations. Roll away the stone. And of course, Lazarus rises. There's another frame in Mark chapter 5. It's a whole stream of Jesus healing and doing incredible miracles. But one in particular is the demoniac, a man that they all know. In this region, they all know him. They call him the demoniac. He lives among the tombs. He's, he's unclean. Not only does he not have any friends, but he is avoided and left out to his own devices. But Jesus gets a hold of him, and the Bible says that once he spends time with Jesus and, and God works a miracle in his life, it says that he begins to sit with Jesus, and they all recognize that's the man, that's the demoniac that's with Jesus. And it says, the Bible says he was clothed and in his right mind. It's incredible. Now look, the thing I love about God, and I've said before, is his honesty. God in the form of Jesus doesn't pull any punches by acting like that type of growth, that type of miracle working issue doesn't just happen. Before he heals Lazarus and he is raised from the dead, it says that Jesus wept. He is moved at a soul level. He is emotional. And it says, as the people see the demoniac healed and sitting with Jesus, it says that the people are afraid. Change is hard. Growth hurts. And we're leaning into this series, Reset, a divine approach to our earthy affairs. That always sounds good and it preaches really well, but it's unfamiliar. It's uncomfortable. It's un a lot of things and yet it is who God is. And it's ultimately, church, it's all he has for us. A great reset, not just in the middle of a pandemic, but also in your marriage, but also in the thoughts about yourself, also in your relationship with your parents and your children and everyone else in between. I'm not here to downplay or demean going our own way because I want to speak about that. Our way versus the Spirit's way. I am not here to downplay or demean going your own way. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that. To be perfectly honest, I think going our own way gets a bad rap. A lot of people talk about it only in negative terms, as if going our own way is always a grossly selfish choice, or it's always an outright acceptance of, of less than, and seeing all the options, I'm going to choose my own way. Or perhaps even just a description that going our own way is evil of the highest order. Honestly, I think oftentimes going our own way is what we feel cornered into. It's what we're unwittingly wandering towards. And for one reason or another, we find resonance in that way in our own soul for whatever moment or whatever span of time. And so we just go that way. I think oftentimes I see it most when my children are doing something and they're confronted with the wrong choice that they made and I'll look at one of them and say, why did you do that? And they'll look at me struck with the moment of like, why did I do that? But their common answer is always, I don't, I don't know. They knew better and they're confronted with the truth and I ask, why did you do that? Well, I don't know. And it's not just with children, it's with adults. 
It's in marriages. It's in healthy choices versus unhealthy choices. Well, why do you eat that food? Why did you go to that website? Why did you spend that money? I, I, I don't know. Because for whatever reason, some choice of our own way resonates with our soul. And that's okay. If we can deal with that as a reality and acknowledge it, I think would be better served to acknowledge the fact that it is our own way and look diligently for God's way in the midst of those things. We get a drink of water here, church. Turning to the scriptures in Romans 8, I want to appeal to the verbiage with which Paul exhorts us. Why the Spirit? The Spirit helps us in verse 26 in our weakness. It helps us when we don't know what to pray for. It's when we're weak, church. It's it's when we're confused. This is when we need God's Holy Spirit. This is when we need the way of Jesus and the way of His Spirit. It's also most often the time when we go our own way, when we're weak, when we're confused, when we're frustrated. My therapist many years ago told me, hey, you don't want to make a choice when you're taking a bath. And I looked at him and I was like, first of all, I take showers because I'm an adult. But that wasn't what he was talking to me. He's like, no, 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 bath. When you're bored, when you're angry, when you're tired, or when you're hungry, not just needing a cheeseburger, hungry meaning emotionally deprived. Maybe there's a a void in your soul. Don't make decisions. Don't choose choices of actions or, or take directional steps when you're bored, angry, tired, or hungry. It's like this, maybe on a more just tangible, practical level. It's never smart to go to the grocery store when you're hungry. Can I get an amen? If we all decided to not go to the grocery store when we were hungry, I can guarantee ho-hos and cupcakes would go out of business. But we do go to the grocery store hungry, and we fill our cart with all of those things that we don't need. So, this is our common and our shared conundrum that we all face and that we are all facing together, but individually. Do we go the way of our circumstances or do we go the way of Holy Spirit? Do we go the way that Jesus describes and invites us into or do we go our own way? Now, as we talk about this conundrum, these choices, these options, listen, these options of ways which we all have, let's stay really earthy. I don't want to talk about this in some far off distant way. I want to consider some real life circumstances. Acknowledge the dirt under our fingernails, so to speak. So let me speak to some of the common and current well-worn ways that we are all leaning into, that we all give space and probably too much time to. First, there are always, again, describing our common, current, own ways, going our own way, would be enticing distractions, the way of entertainment, the way of just Netflix binging or getting on Hulu and all of a sudden looking up YouTube and then you look up. We YouTube. We, we get on YouTube. We YouTube. It's a noun. It's a verb. It's an adjective. I feel youtube I don't know if that's a thing, but it is now. But the fact of the matter is how many times have we started a show or a series, looked up, and three hours later, life is different. <laughs> Those moments are gone. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have time to relax, reprieve, and kind of unhook a little bit. But going our own way 
and filling the void of maybe the effort that's needed in that relationship or the discussion that has to happen and rather applying that to just entertaining ourselves, that's not going to be productive and it's not going to move us into what God has for us. Enticing distractions like relationships. It never fails the stories that I hear of people's marriages. They just don't understand. They found this consoling other person that wasn't their spouse. Whenever you're going through something and that argument, it's incredible how often someone else comes in and has a willing ear to listen. A willing ear to listen. That ear should be your spouse, church. And then sometime later, people come to me, I don't know how we got here. Well, you were enticed by that distraction of a relationship rather than working on the given covenantal relationship you have in your spouse. Again, I'm just glossing over some common current own ways that we lean into. Devices. How many of us, first thing in the morning, look at our phone? How many of us, the last thing we do before we go to sleep, look at our phone? How many of us, through the course of our entire days, are we constantly looking at our phone, disappearing into the portal that is our device? Recently, I read a book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, and he made this plea, or really was telling us, I felt like it was a plea for me. He was telling the readers, I took email, just email off of my phone, and it changed my life. I scoffed at it because surely that wouldn't change my life. And also, I was honestly scared to take email off my phone. I took it off and did okay for about a day. I nervously put it back on and decided, no, 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 I need to take it off. I took off email. Listen, email is not the problem. And being able to communicate and connect on my phone is not the problem. The problem would be I would check my email, just being honest and transparent with you today, church. I would check my email and then I would check this, then I would check that. I don't have Candy Crush, but if I had it, I'd play a couple rounds of Candy Crush. And before you know it, 45 minutes of my life slipped by because I went to check one email. And so devices can be the own way where we fold into and don't go the way that God wants us to go in. Social media. I mean, come on, church. Instagram, Snapchat, Flipbook, Flip Facebook, whatever, I don't, whatever is out there and however many of those platforms there are, all they do is erase our time that we have to give one another. They give us these false sense of connectivity and relationship when it feels great, but really what it looks like, it's you with adult circumstance, but water wings floating around in the shallow end of the baby pool. But it, my point is, they are some of the most just vacuous own ways that we fold ourselves into. Then there's enticing directions up, down, right, and left. And what I mean by that is when we have circumstances going on and we have these enticing directions, I personally revert to down. What I mean by that is I look down at myself. I think that everything that's happening is within my control. I need to be responsible. So I only look down. I take other relationships out of the equation. I take God out of the equation. I just focus on what can I do? What have I done? What am I responsible for? How did I get here? And while that sounds good, right, and true, I shouldn't be the center of my universe. So the direction of down brings me only to myself. There's the direction of up, where again, seemingly, 
would be great. Hey, look to God. Look to heaven from whence your help comes from. But all the while, if we're just saying, God, do this. God, do that. God, where are you? God, what's going on? All the while, we might be ignoring the fact that we have a part to play. In this election season, many of us might be like, oh, Donald, Mike, you guys are making America great again. You're going to continue to make me great again. This is incredible. Others of us might be like, hey, Joe, Kamala, save us. We go to the left and we're, please uh, change all of the laws and bring us back home again. All the while, we're going this way and that way and over here and over there. I don't mean to communicate some or all of these things aren't some level along the way. I'm proposing they are not the way. Jesus says in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It's not the presence of other things. It's not the presence of, of right or left that are evil and wrong. It's the priority of a thing. I'm not suggesting that we should ignore the influence of a democratically elected government. Uh, I'm just suggesting that they aren't our salvation. They aren't made to bring us into the future that God has for us. That's God's job. That's God's dream and desire. Those would be some of the current well-worn own ways that we choose. I wish I could tell you the Jesus way, the, the way of Holy Spirit is filled with obvious beauty, with great fun balloons that are blown up that we can see and enjoy and everything always immediately working out, but it's not the case. In fact, the prevalent telltale indication of the way of Holy Spirit is actually wilderness. The presence of wilderness in our lives. I'll pause for a minute and let you consider Googling another church because we are inviting you to the wilderness. Wilderness in the scriptures, they are wild. They are painted and illustrated as untamed, unvisited places and spaces. They aren't jungles as much as they're realms that have not been explored or more pointedly, have not been commandeered and hence domesticated by empire, outside the reach of the Romans, outside the reach of King Ahab, outside the reach of King Saul. And, and those in power, domestication is not a bad thing when it's for a pet, but domestication means that those in power are situating the circumstances so they stay in power. And the scriptures offer us insight that we are given opportunity more to grow and find who we are when we're in the wilderness. One of the frustrations, just to be honest, with church in general that I've had over in recent years is the propensity for those who are preaching to tell people this is what God says. This is what God means rather than what we really try hard to do here at Life Church is to encourage and equip all people, you included, to listen for and discern the voice of God in your life, in your circumstance, in your family, at your job. Wildernesses are instructive throughout the scriptures. They are instructive, but not by our standards or, or methods of teaching, not by adding external information, but through incarnation. Wilderness experienced from the outside doing a change on the inside, incarnation. 
Now, wildernesses in the scriptures look different, just like they look different in our lives, just to name a few and how they come to be with us or how we come to be in them. Rarely, but occasionally, we are told a wilderness is coming. Parents, when you speak to your young people, encourage them that you know about the wilderness of adolescence. You know about the wilderness of junior high and, and everything else in between. Young people, listen to your parents. Listen to your coaches and teachers who might have some wisdom and knowledge to speak to where you're headed because they've already been there. Noah is someone. Noah is warned and told about the wilderness of the flood that he's about to experience. Sometimes we escape to the wilderness, like Moses, who, who's with his in-laws in Midian, having escaped Egypt. Uh, David, who's being hunted by Saul or being attacked by Absalom, he escapes to the wilderness. Paul, Paul, after his conversion, escapes to Arabia. Again, maybe not a complete desert wilderness, but it was outside the realm of domestication that he was a part of. Oftentimes, wilderness we're not told, we may not even see it coming, but it falls to us. We wake up one day and we realize, ah, this season, this place I'm in, this is wilderness. I think of Abram. Abram and Lot have the choice and one wants to go this way and one wants to go that way and they choose and Abram says, Lot, you go ahead and choose. And Lot, of course, chooses the good direction, that which seems bountiful and gets to go in that and Abram goes into the wilderness. With Jesus even, who is our God, but he's also an example for us. He shows us the way that we should go, how we are to go. We enter into wilderness when we're shown wilderness. In Matthew chapter 4, we see it very plainly as Jesus comes up from the waters of baptism. And in Mark's gospel, it says he was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit. In Matthew chapter 4, it says, And Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Also consider the many times, not just at the beginning of his ministry, but the many times Jesus retreats to the wilderness. Jesus retreats to the high place, to that space where he can then lean into the connectivity and creativity that God's Spirit has. I'm currently reading a book, Eugene Peterson, The Jesus Way, a conversation on the ways that Jesus is the way. He writes this about wilderness. He says, the wilderness provides the place and time to clarify what is involved. We necessarily, this is not an option, have to pay close attention to the way we are on the way of the Lord, how we do this. Jesus had to do it. We have to do it. It's interesting because when you start speaking about the wilderness and incarnation, you can get away from the hustle and bustle and ultimately begin to hear that's where the incarnation happens. It's not an external outside voice, but when everything outside and external gets silenced, you can hear what's on the inside. The first followers of Jesus so deeply believed in the presence of God and His Holy Spirit that began to speak of it not just as a witness, but an inness, something that was incarnational. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Paul talks about how the Holy Spirit is personal. He is only personal, that you are the temple of God's Holy Spirit. In your existence, God is within. And here we all are. Here we are, all of us together, in this pandemic wilderness. 
Others of us are also in a financial jungle, a desert of a marriage, a bleak and desolate wasteland of whatever. Students, you're about to enter into the wilderness of virtual school. We're all hoping and praying it's only nine weeks, but it might be 18, it might be 27, it might be 36. My point is, the chances that all of us are in a wilderness are massive. But it's in the wilderness where God wants to speak, where you can begin to discern your own way and see the way of Holy Spirit, hear His voice. The Spirit is always willing to bring you much to the way of incarnation. Despite Holy Spirit's personal intimacy, and He is personally intimate, there's a subjectivity to Him that is only connected to you. He is also only and always aware of the whole. God doesn't just focus in on one and therefore hurt the others. He's able to move me subjectively, but also you subjectively, and somehow work the miracle of all of us coming together. Here's the thing. We tend to only see what we're looking for and tend to only hear what we're listening for. And God has brought us. I don't believe he's contrived the pandemic or all the other circumstances going on, but he has placed us in the wilderness. And here we are able to hear his voice, discern it according to our own. Let me leave you with this benediction. May we look to, listen for, and align ourselves with God's ways and means. May we be fully led by God's ultimate guide and Holy Spirit as we fully give ourselves to Him. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better. We love you so much. We're looking forward to seeing you sooner rather than later, and we're praying for you.